What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'll go to my sophomore year at Michigan State. We were playing in... uh, Illinois, so in Champaign, Illinois, um, I remember it snowing very, very heavily during the game. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we are talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on their journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. On today's episode, I'm talking to former big league reliever and current Eastern Michigan University pitching coach, A.J. Ochter. A.J. was the perfect guy for me to pick his brain about cold weather baseball. He grew up just outside of Toledo, went to college at Michigan State, spent big league time in Minnesota, and as I now said, he coaches at EMU. I am someone who was raised in Texas, played almost all my baseball in the safe, warm temperatures of the South, so I loved hearing about growing up in cold weather ball and what kind of guy succeeds in a cold weather environment. AJ also talked about life as a bullpen guy in the minor leagues, how all-star games are at every step of the MILB ladder, and the mentality you need to get to the big leagues as a 46th round pick. He also did me the kindness of telling me nice things about my childhood favorite player, so very much appreciated AJ taking the time to do the podcast. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We are almost a triple-digit five-star ratings. That would be great. And most importantly, share it with your friends. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. It's top 10 prospect season at time of recording. The top 10 for the Twins just dropped, as did the December issue of the Baseball America magazine with Spencer Torkelson on the cover. J.J. Cooper is also on top of the MLB and MILB ongoing negotiations. Seems like something new drops there every day. Lots of good stuff, as always, over at BA. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to A.J. Ochter. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a 46-round selection by the Minnesota Twins in 2010, former big leaguer, current assistant coach at Eastern Michigan University, A.J. Ochter. A.J., thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. No problem, Kyle. I, I always enjoy doing stuff like this and reflecting a little bit on, on my career and um, you know, fortunate enough now to work with, with obviously, college-age kids, and you know they often ask me a lot about my career, but things like this really... You know, the questions that kind of jar some memories and stuff. I'm really looking forward to, to chatting with you about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you, especially because as, as we were we were just talking about before we started recording, uh, this series has leaned heavily 
on players in the South, players from the South. Uh, we started off with Eric O'Flaherty is from the Seattle area. Everyone else, deep South. So uh, I am looking forward to to hearing about you. You grew up in Ohio, cold weather state. What was your relationship with baseball as you got into high school, especially growing up with a football coach dad? Yeah, you know, my my background, um, especially going to high school, was always multi-sport. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy um, all throughout high school, all four years of high school. Um, really, to be honest with you, baseball didn't really emerge as, as my sport until kind of about the midway through my junior spring almost, you know, kind of saw a velo jump then. Um, but like you said, the, my dad was college football player, played professionally a little bit um, in the NFL, and then coached football my entire life. So I kind of had that football background. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of how, like, I, I kind of figured going into it, into high school, my dad too, you know, whatever one emerged is, uh, is my best, is the path I'd go. And I had some football offers, had some basketball offers, Division One offers in, in both, but obviously chose the baseball route, and I think I made the right decision. Thankfully, um, I think I think you did too. <laughs> yeah, but you know, baseball, you know, football is honestly was like my first love. But I grew to obviously love the game of baseball and kind of love my relationship with it and all the you know the travels it took me on, the places I was able to go, the people I was able to meet. So. Um, you know, kind of that started out at, at the Oregon Rec, where I'm from Oregon, Ohio, right outside Toledo. And, you know, just kind of talk about playing playing on travel ball teams with my buddies all the way through high school. Um, and then, you know, obviously moving on to Michigan State. But, um, you know, baseball is a sport that gave me a whole lot of opportunities. And it kind of started at that, you know, at the Oregon Rec when I was when I was growing up. Well, how much baseball were you able to play in high school? Because like I, I told you before we started recording, I'm from Texas. You pretty much, we, we played 10 to 11 months out of the year. You usually took a break for December, and that's it. Like, how often were you throwing? How much were you pitching throughout the year? Yeah, you know, that that's a great question because, you know, obviously now as a recruiter, I hear kind of everything in the spectrum with, with high school kids nowadays. But, you know, my baseball season was pretty much baseball season and then a little in the summer. Um once basketball rolled around, I'd start playing catch a little bit, but, you know, I was a quarterback, so I kind of built my arm strength up and kept my arm in shape. Through football season, basketball would take a couple months off, and then, um, you know, usually around January 1st is when I'd pick up the baseball again, and then kind of rolling into the, the spring. We usually would play about, you know, 25 to 30 games. Obviously, first, just like we do in college, the first month or so is pretty cold, um, but, you know, again, I think that I really think that kind of that not specializing and not too many innings on my arm really helped me, obviously physically, but also like mentally develop into a pitcher when I got to college just because I was so fresh. I didn't play fall ball growing up. I didn't because um, I was always in football. So I really think that kind of that separation between the three sports and then obviously, um, you know, once I became a PO in college, kind of I was able to make some pretty big jumps, I think because of my athletic ability, but also just kind of how fresh I was with baseball still, even my freshman year of college. So how'd you, how did you land on Michigan State? Because I mean, I mean I'm sure the, the weather there wasn't as big for you as it would have been for like someone like me, but there, was there any desire to head to warmer pastures to play your college ball? You know what? Not really, because you know when, when you grew up in the Midwest, and especially when you're a football a football guy like my family was, you know, kind of the Big Ten is the gold standard. You know, that's kind of what you grew up rooting. I grew up kind of right in, I grew in Toledo's kind of right in between Ohio State, right in between Michigan. Michigan State's just an hour and a half away. So um, I always loved the Big Ten, but never was really sold on, you know, I wasn't a Spartan fan growing up my entire life. Um, but, you know, my first visit there, um, 
was game day, college game day between Penn State and Michigan State. And there's 80,000 people at Spartan Stadium, um, get to see Joe Pa run out of the tunnel, get to go on the field before the game. So, um, you know, it's like I said, as a football guy and a football family, that really sold me. And then obviously the um, they've done a great job at Michigan State with some, with some renovations to the stadium that was brand new kind of when I stepped on campus. So those kind of things all kind of factored into it. But, um, you know, as far as going down south again, it never really crossed my mind. Obviously, I would have entertained it. You know, in summer ball in high school, we'd play in the Nashville area. We'd play Vandy and Lipscomb and stuff like that. And all that was cool to me. But when the Michigan State opportunity came up, I um, I took some other visits to some Big Ten schools, but Michigan State obviously really stood out and um, was the place I could see myself for three, four years. So you mentioned the, the the football, like that college game day and stuff being there and being able to be a, you know, the perk of going to a Big Ten school, especially like Michigan State, is, is Big Ten basketball, Big Ten football. How much how much time did you have as a baseball player to to check out the other sports, just be a fan, especially in 2009 with that basketball team that um, made it to the national championship game. Do you, did you have enough free time to, to really be a fan of Michigan state athletics? You know, I, I always enjoyed it. And I think the coaching staff, um, coach boss is the head coach. Now there was my head coach there. Loved him. Coach Vandermeer, same thing. Um, who's a pitching coach there was my pitching coach too. And I think they always stuck me with, uh, hosting recruits on, on the weekends for football games, which I absolutely loved. I got to go down the field, even though, you know, I'm classmates with a lot of these guys. I always thought it was awesome to see them on the field, go to games, get free tickets to games. We didn't do as much with basketball and recruiting visits. Um, so I didn't go to nearly as many basketball games. Those tickets are actually really hard to get at Michigan State. At least they were when I was there. Um, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. 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 So uh, but you know, it, it was a it was a great experience to be able to, like you said, take in. You know, I was there Mark D'Antonio's first year, which obviously he built the program into um, kind of a national brand. And obviously, what Coach Izzo has done there speaks for itself. And you know, it's funny at Eastern, um, our head coach Eric Roof played at Michigan State with me. Um, our hitting coach Jonathan Roof was my roommate at Michigan State, and then our volunteer. Chad Ross Kelly was a Michigan State alum too, and he played um, a few years after us. But you know, him and I were reminiscing the other day just about the experiences. And that 09 Final Four came up for me because that was in Detroit. I remember we had a weekend series, and you know, watching the final national championship game with my buddies or with my teammates was was a pretty cool experience. Obviously, the baseball was amazing, and I'm blessed to develop there and, and you know eventually develop into a big leaguer. But those experiences that I had um, as just a normal student were, were pretty dang cool. So with the baseball, as a, a cold weather guy who played, you know, Northern College baseball, now in, involved in coaching and recruiting Northern College baseball, is there what are the benefits to playing college baseball in a region that, that people might overlook, I would say. I mean, um I think I don't think anyone south of the Mason Dixon line has, has won a national championship unless Vanderbilt is south of the Mason Dixon <laughs> line. I I did not major in geography, but that's that's the thing that um, you know, um it's been tougher for northern schools to win. Obviously, Michigan got there, which I don't. That might be a sore sore subject. Michigan got to the. Uh, <laughs> but are there are there perks and benefits that you th- that um, that you think you experienced at Michigan State or maybe helped you out in pro ball that you couldn't get from a, a southern school? Yeah, I mean, I think just just thinking, you know, just you asking this question, I've never really thought of it this way. But you know, I get drafted by the Minnesota Twins. And, um, you know, my first full season is in Beloit, Wisconsin, 
which is very similar weather to East Lansing, Michigan. Um, my AAA team was Rochester, New York, very similar weather to East Lansing. You know, obviously Minnesota in, in April and May isn't, isn't the best condition. So I really do think that that helped me, um, you know, be ready for prepare. You know, there's a, obviously you play with a lot of international guys from Dominican and Venezuela, and obviously they're very cold, but it's something that I was very used to. Um, and a lot of that is not only just at state, obviously, but growing up in, in Ohio. Um, but I really do think it has its benefits. Obviously, it gets you ready for that kind of weather. Um, but, you know, there you can get just about everything done um, with the facilities at schools now. At, you know, at Eastern Michigan, we have a full bubble where we can play live games in the winter. Obviously, we can't do a full outfield and stuff like that. But our guys are still throwing, um, you know, up to 30 innings before we even leave campus in, in live baseball. And obviously, hitters are getting live at bats, too. So, obviously, it's not the full live and you, you don't have the batter's eye in the backdrop. But... Um, the way facilities have came and came along and the way that kind of, you know, the resources that, that different programs have and we have at Eastern are obviously huge and kind of trying to even that playing field. It'll never be even just because, again, the Southern schools can get out year-round, but I really do think you're going to see that gap continue to shrink a little bit, um, you know, especially if things happen like they're talking, uh, like Coach Backich at Michigan starting, starting the season a little later, um, which will only help us Northern schools. Mm -hmm. So something else that you've gotten to look at from a player and now from a coaching perspective is, um, you know, what goes into a guy like yourself who was ready to contribute at a, at a high level as a freshman who was able, you know, you had a couple starts as a freshman. Um, I'm sure you've had guys at, at Eastern Michigan who have contributed as a freshman. What did you do to handle uh, starting at the college level as a, as a freshman, as a young kid, aside from just honing physical skills? What goes into being a contributor as a freshman, being ready that quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, kind of our philosophy at Eastern was kind of the same as the staff my freshman year at State, which was, you know, they're going to play the best players, and I was fortunate to come in and obviously have a good fall and then obviously parlay into that into a the Sunday role as a freshman. I was real fortunate, too, because that was back when the Big Ten um, had four-game series on the weekends, which it sounds like a lot of, a lot of conferences are going to go back to that this year, but, you know, it was a nine, two sevens, and a nine. And we had two, three fifth-year seniors in front of me that were the three, you know, uh, the one, two, and three. And then I was the number four as a true freshman. So I thought it was a really good learning experience for me to kind of watch how those guys went about their business, watch how they had success, um, you know, obviously in between outings, um, you know, what they worked on. So I think things like that where you can kind of bring guys along slowly, but at the same time push guys um, to have them ready for a bigger role their sophomore, junior year. And I think my progression – from the Sunday guy to the Saturday guy to the Friday guy is something that we kind of shoot for um, as well with our freshman arms. You know, we want guys who are going to step in and, and and be a weekend guy right away, and that Sunday role kind of fits right in. So that's kind of where, where I slotted in, and I thought it was a great opportunity for me to, um, you know, see three games of hitters, you know, learn from the – sit next to the pitching coach, chart and pitches, and learn – um, you know, kind of what guys did. And I really think that, you you know, you, you didn't want me to touch too much on physically, but I think once I transferred to just you know, to just being a PO, I really kind of saw um, my stuff and just kind of my pitch ability take off a little bit. And then obviously it kept, it kept growing. And then especially in pro ball, when I moved to the pen, my stuff played up a little bit more in the pen. But, um, you know, just I think it was really just learning from the older guys and learning how to kind of be, be a college athlete. Well, when you head into your junior year, you've you've established yourself as a rotation mainstay. Um, what are when you when you go into the year? What are the draft hopes for you as you start that year? Was it on your radar in terms of 
Like there are guys like Kumar Rocker this year for Vanderbilt is going into this spring. It is it will be his last year at Vanderbilt, even though he's a junior. Were you um, did you want to be in the I'm getting out of here category or was it something that you were like, I hope this happens, but, you know, I might be back in East Lansing? Yeah, I mean, I think that even even after I was drafted, I'm sure we'll touch on this later, but, you know, my I loved Michigan State so much that I was totally okay with going back for my fourth year. Obviously, it was my dream to play pro ball. Um, and when I was drafted in the 46th round, I really thought I was going back to Michigan State. But it was mainly because of just how much I loved my experience there with, with the staff and just the entire university. But, you know, going into my junior year, I was coming off a, a really good summer in the Prospect League, which was it was the first year of the league I was playing for Chillicothe. Um, I ended up being a top five prospect in that league, you know, by Baseball America, which was obviously a really cool thing and, and really cool to read and see. Um, but, you know, obviously I turned a lot of heads down there, threw really well in the All-Star game there, which was heavily attended by scouts. So I kind of knew going in that I had a chance. You know, I, I had a lot of draft looks out of high school as well. And obviously um, just some signability stuff kind of didn't let that even play out. But I kind of, I had the plan that, you know, that was going to be my last year. And that's just kind of the way I was wired was, you know, this is, if that's my plan, I'm, I'm going to stick to it. Um, obviously got drafted a little later than I thought, but, um, my plan was, you know, in pitching on Friday in the big 10, you're going to get seen a lot. You know, I pitched against Alex Wimmers, kind of went toe to toe with him, both of our junior years, Alex ended up being the first rounder by the twins my same year. So, um, I got seen a lot, didn't throw as well statistically wise, but I think obviously I showed enough um, to get selected and then went out to the Cape and obviously performed well enough to get signed. So um, it was obviously always the goal. And that junior year obviously is a big year for everyone. What was the lead up to the draft like for you? Because you had some time between your last game, I believe at Northwestern and Correct. the actual draft. What was, were you surprised to have, have fallen to the 46 or around that does not exist anymore? Was <laughs> that, what was that draft day experience like? Yeah, so I was actually, so I played for Katua uh, Kettleers that summer, um, and that summer I got drafted, and I was out in on the Cape already. Um, we had practice that day, uh, that was, I'm trying to remember what, what the day, you know, it was broken up into three days, just like it was now. The first day was rounds one and two, then it was like two through 20, and you know, I really thought I'd go that second day. I really didn't think there was any chance I'd slip past that, and um, you know, I, I tried, I've even told this story to guys who asked me what what to expect on a draft day I went to the beach I went golfing I tried doing everything but watched it on my phone obviously it was not as popular and not as streamed as much as it is uh, now but I tried staying away and then obviously um, you know after the 20th or 30th round whatever it was that day too uh, very deflated uh, took some calls that night and a lot of them were you know would you sign early tomorrow to go to the GCL or go to the AZL and you know I was kind of firm on, you know, I want to pitch out here in the Cape, prove myself, and if not, I'm going to go back to Michigan State because it's a place I love. Um, and, you know, it's funny, we had practice that that next morning. I went home, and the draft was still going on, and I went, to, I went and took a nap. I was so frustrated, and I, I tell this story to Jeff Pohl all the time, who was the scout who drafted me from the Twins. I was actually taking a nap when I got drafted. My phone rang, and Jeff says, hey, you just got selected by the Twins. And, you know, I was still out of it, and I said, oh, thanks, what round? You know, so it was... It was really obviously frustrating to fall that far um, and, and, you know, frustrating to kind of all the hard work it seemed like went out the door, but thankfully I kind of got my head back on straight and performed well enough out in the Cape, obviously in the premier summer league in the country and, and performed well enough to sign at the end of the summer. 
what was the key thing then that made that decision for you? you signed for fifty thousand dollars you don't have to head to the complex league you go to uh the, the appy league which is as of now going to be a, a college woodbat summer league now but besides the point you don't go to the complex league but you, you choose to sign what what made turning pro at that point the move for you as opposed to going back to East Lansing? Because by that point, I'm sure you had your classes. You you know you were practically back on campus. What was the the key factor in deciding that it, it was time for you? Yeah, I mean, I was so back then. The deadline was, I believe, it was like August 18th, and I signed at like 11:50. I agreed at like 11:50 on August 18th, and I was like two days away from moving up to the house with my buddies at school. You know, so obviously. Um, I had planned on it almost up until that day and um, you know I think the big deciding factor for me was going out to the Cape and having seen the success that I had in the bullpen um, and then that obviously piquing the Twins interest and seeing kind of how my stuff played up a little more in the pen um, when I was out in the Cape. Coach Roberts who's an outsta- former North Carolina head coach, outstanding coach, still still with Katua, he taught me a change up out there that honestly resurrected my career and a pitch that I kind of lived off of for all my, my playing career. So um, I just thought it felt it felt right. Um, obviously, the financially, it was better than a package I would have got as a senior, um, but it was more the opportunity with Minnesota. Um, you know, I thought that Terry Ryan, the the GM at the time, who was who honestly played a, a hand in drafting me, even though it was a forty six round, I thought he had my back. I thought the scouts, I um, mean, the organizations really did a great job of selling me on the player development side of things, which they've obviously always promoted from within, especially with the old regime. So, um, just just kind of that uh, combination of things obviously led me to sign. It was an extremely tough decision. I called Coach Boss crying telling him I'm sorry I wasn't coming back, but um, you know, obviously it was the right decision for me, and thankfully it played out in my favor. Yeah, so you sign as a 46th round pick. What are the expectations that you put on yourself at that point? Because w- was there a big league role that you, when you signed, you said you could realistically see yourself in from the get-go? Did you have, a, I want to get to the big leagues by a certain time? Because um, you got to full season ball, you see guys on prospect list, high round picks, you know, you kind of look at the odds. Was there, did you put something on your shoulders and say, I'm going to be, I can be this guy in the big leagues? Yeah, you know, even looking back now on it is a round that doesn't even exist anymore. I took like, um, you know, that that 46 round and kind of put a chip on my shoulder and said, you know, I'm going to prove people wrong. You know, obviously go to, um, I went to Elizabethan and there's, you know, prospects all over the field on both sides. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm about as good as that guy, you know, even going to full season in Beloit, my first season as a starter had a lot of ups and downs, but um, you know, I, I knew that if I could just get something to click and if I could kind of stay motivated, I, I had a chance. Um, and thankfully, the Twins, you know, kind of saw that in me. And I, I really think my pitching coach in, in Beloit, Gary Lucas, who kind of stuck his neck out for me, I, you know, ever since we've had talks. And there's a couple times where I was really close to being released. But, you know, Luke kind of said, hey, I think this kid's got something. Let's give him a chance by throwing him the bullpen or something like that. But um, even, even you know, when I got to AAA and, you know, you – Triple A obviously is a huge step, but you're you know it still takes a lot to get there. And I always had a chip on my shoulder, even when I got to the big leagues. It was always, um, you know. And then when they eliminated the after the 40th round, you know, I always thought it was like, you know what, that would be really cool to to reach the big leagues in, from a round that doesn't even exist anymore. Almost even cooler than being a non-drafted free agent, you know. So I thought that was really cool. And I and you know it's kind of my mentality and kind of my family the the way that we are. We're a bunch of fighters. Like I said, my dad was drafted out of a Mac school. Um, in the NFL. So um, that chip on my shoulder really played, you know, a motivating factor. And, and, you know, just the fear of failure, I think really, really helped too. just, just never given in. 
Well, let's go into that the one year you spent as a starter, your first year uh, in, in full season in Loe Beloit. The weather you were probably used to, which is like you said earlier, is you know a hurdle in the Midwest League for for guys who aren't used to it. But what was the biggest challenge between going to to starting in the Big Ten versus starting in Low A? Because they say that the game speeds up with each level you get up to. But was there anything? Does it get difficult to get up for a Wednesday start in Beloit when a year before you were starting it's like Michigan or Indiana or Ohio State? Yeah, I mean it's definitely an adjustment, honestly. And even talking to to my guys now, the guys who have pro aspirations, the biggest thing I stress and the biggest difference is a starter is the rotation factor. You know, you go, I go from throwing on a fr- every Friday, you know, for 14 starts at Michigan State to pro ball every fifth day, which there could be a rainout that pushes you back. There could be an off day, you know, so there are so many unknowns and, you know, your pen day may be, may be an off day. So, um, you know, kind of just getting used to that flow of kind of chaos. You know, you're taking six, seven hour bus rides after, after a long series. Um, and you may be starting the next day. So just kind of getting used to that grind of pro ball. Um, I really think that that the biggest difference for me was was just the depth of the lineups. I mean, you know, I was a reliever in, in E-Town in the Appy League. So, you know, going to Beloit, just the depth of, of you know, South Bend and Fort Wayne, you know, those are some just – I just remember having tough outings against those teams and getting beat by their like eight, nine guys where in college you just throw a fastball right by – you know, the nine-hole hitter freshman who plays second base. So that was the biggest adjustment for me and kind of just learning how to pitch, too. And, again, Gary Lucas, my pitching coach there, did a great job kind of teaching me how to pitch. And, um, you know, I had I had some success. My ERA wasn't great, but I struck out a lot of guys um, as a starter. So kind of that's kind of why my role kind of flipped to a pen and why my stuff continued to play up in the pen. Um, just kind of figuring out how to put guys away, but also not getting hurt um, when you get ahead in, this, in the count. Something else that I'm sure was a difficult transition between Michigan State and especially the low minors was the living and financial situation. Uh, I did not go to Division One school. I've heard great things about the living <laughs> arrangements, about facilities, et cetera. You mentioned that they had, you know, just done some stuff with the field at Michigan State. Um, what is the, you know, the living, the financial situations during your early minor league years? How was that transition from whatever house or dorm or, you know, the, the lifestyle at Michigan state? Yeah. And, you know, just, I'll just hit on kind of the baseball side of it first, you know, anyone that's ever been to Boyd, Wisconsin knows that they are in, in dire need of a new field, which it sounds like they are getting a new stadium downtown, which is awesome. But, um, you know, Beloit was one of the, the lower end stadiums in, you know, in the country, in in all of minor league baseball. So you go from Michigan State brand new stadium to that. Um, and then obviously the, the level above that was uh, Fort Myers, which is obviously a big league spring training site, which is great. But, um, you know, kind of Beloit sandwich in there, it really, it's tough when you have two, 300 people in the stands on a Wednesday in April um, to get up again, like you talked about at Michigan State, the fight songs playing, the, you're playing U of M, there's a bunch of ways to generate energy. And that's kind of, a unique thing, and again, the li- like just kind of talked about the living was unique. My first year, I played two uh, a year and a half in Beloit. My first year, I lived with six guys in a three bedroom apartment. My second year, I lived with with the host family, which was an awesome setup. Um, but you know, you talk about you know it was almost like a summer ball setup. Um, so just a unique thing for sure. You go from 
um, you know, really nice apartments in Michigan State to, um, in Beloit, but they were nice, but you're sleeping on an air mattress, and you're just kind of trying, kind of scrounge however you can to get along, and those are kind of the memories that are really cool, though. Was going to ask if you ever had to sleep on an air mattress. <laughs> oh, yeah, air mattress was my bed of choice for probably three, three summers, so <laughs> um, you kind of learned to deal with it, for sure. That's why the, the road trips were nice, because you actually got a bed, but uh, yeah, air mattresses, futons, I've slept on it all, you know, through that grind. And that's what kind of makes obviously getting to the big leagues is special. But just those moments like that, that you think back on and think, wow, you know, like, I thought that was really cool then to be living with six of my buddies, let alone getting paid a whole bunch of money to do it. Uh, you mentioned your skill set translated pretty well to being a reliever. What's the the day to day of a minor league reliever, which that's like short stints, you get such brief glimpses at how your stuff is playing up in games, how things are going. What are you working on in between outings? How do you improve the craft as a reliever versus as a starter? You know, you get your your long demonstration of how the things are working. You know, you get four or five innings, you get your bullpen. What's the day to day as a as a pen guy? Yeah, I thought, you know, obviously I I had success in the pen uh, in the pen in, in the Cape Cod League and. Um, but I thought when, when I got moved to the pen in pro ball, it really, obviously I was only a year, year and a half in, but it really kind of rejuvenated my love for baseball and my energy. Um, you know, rather than throwing every fifth day and feeling like the other four days you were just keeping a chart or eating a whole bunch of spread, um, you come to the field to energize every single day, whether a good outing last night or a bad outing. Unless you threw three innings and 50 pitches, you're probably up again that night. So. Um, you know, that mentality of coming to the field every day ready to work and ready to help the team, I thought really helped me. Um, it kind of, you know, one thing that I made the adjustment was my workload. Um, you know, playing catch was less, but it was a little bit more intense because I knew, okay, I can't go out to 250 feet today. I'm going to stick at 120, but these, you know, these 20 throws I make from 120 are going to be really important because this could be the, the next, the last time I throw before my name gets called to go in the game. So just stuff like that, that like I said, I think kind of rejuvenated and kind of energized me at the field to have success. Um, you know, I never took for granted an opportunity that when my name was called, I was ready to go. And I, you know, I spent eight years in Pro Bowl. I never once had a stint on the DL and never once told my manager I couldn't throw. Um, so those are kind of things that, that I always took pride in. And again, I thought it kind of re-energized re or rejuvenated me as a pitcher. And, and thankfully, I was able to perform with that energy. Well, once you move to the bullpen, you you basically fly through the system in two seasons. You're up to AAA pretty quickly. Uh, if I have this correctly, you've been a Florida State League All Star, an Eastern League All Star, and a, and a AAA All Star. Do it is that did I did I do my research correctly? Yeah, yep that that is correct. Does the All Star game experience get better as you go up the ladder? Is an improvement? It is. It, it was really cool. You know, the Midwest League one was was cool, but you know, it's one. One league, same thing with the Eastern League, just the Eastern League, but then you get to AAA, and it's the IL versus the PCL, which was so cool, because you get to face guys from... Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real 
cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Um, the other league you hear about, Oklahoma City or um, you know Sacramento, teams like that that you hear about their prospects that they have, and now you get a chance to face them. You get to fly on a plane to go to the All-Star game rather than bus with or drive with your parents. Uh, so really, it was a pretty cool experience every step every step of the way through. You know, I think to the AAA ones, the ones that stand out. It was in Durham, my first year in o- Omaha, my second year. Great experience. They treated us like like big leaguers in first class. You know, my first one, I had never been to the big league, so that was like the highlight of my career was being a AAA All Star and getting to go to Durham. And obviously, later that summer, I was fortunate enough to get called up. But um, you know, I I thought that something that was cool, that was pretty cool for me too. You know, any league that I spent a, a full year in, I made the All Star team. So. Um, you know, most guys, you know, oh, it's just something, but I, I, you know, I'm even sitting down my basement right now and I have my all-star jerseys hanging up right next to my big league ones. It's a pretty special thing to be an all-star, you know, a couple times. And there's two pretty special stadiums to do it in too. Um, Correct. I've been, yeah. I've been fortunate. I, I've been to Durham once, um, incredible stadium. And obviously everyone's a huge Bull Durham fan. Uh, Omaha just got that new park. Um, it is on my, on my bucket list. Uh, another all-star like experience you had is the AFL, which I always think of the AFL. It's like a kind of like a shootout in the OK Corral kind of just it's <laughs> prospects, future big leaguers all coming in as guns for hire for a month. What's the the AFL experience like? Awesome. Absolutely. An amazing experience. Um, you know, even just watching this past World Series, you know, Corey Seager and Pedro Baez were two of my teammates um, in in the, you know, in the fall league. And, you know, I tell my players, you know, they were talking about Corey Seager one day, and I was like, dude, I played with that kid when he was 19, 20 years old, and I could have told you he was going to, you know, just stuff like that. And they're like, you played with him? They think I'm old now, even though I've only been out a couple of years. But, um, you know, just a great experience. You know, I played with Chris Bassett, who just got some ALSI Young votes this week, but him and I grew up five minutes apart and had never met. Um, and, you know, we go out to, you know, Glendale, Arizona, and are on the same team. So just a really cool experience. Obviously, I um, you know, the guys I was with with the Twins were just absolutely uber-talented. You know, I had Byron Buxton, uh, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Trevor May, uh, Alex Meyer, Zach Jones. So just an absolutely loaded group. And I'm sitting here as, as the older guy, and I'm like, I'm not a prospect. What the heck am I doing here? You know, with, with that group of guys at the time. So um, just a really, really cool experience. Obviously, kind of like you said, prospects all over the place. Um, you know, autograph seekers all over the place. Kind of that first experience kind of like you said, of, of kind of a big league moment slash all-star moment. Corey Seager and Max Kepler in the same, that might've been the most handsome baseball team <laughs> that's ever. And they were both 19, 20 years old hitting bombs in, in Glendale. And now they're doing the same thing in the big same leagues. Thing. But yep. Was it after the AFL or even before that, when did you feel like you were in the twins big league plans that you weren't just a 46th round pick anymore? Yeah. You know, I really thought when I got the invite to the, well, when I got called to the AAA and had a really good first year there, and then I got the fall league invite, I really thought, okay, you know, the Twins were struggling a little bit. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of close. And then I didn't get put on the roster. That, that was my protection year. I didn't get put on the 40-man that, 
that uh, that winter, which was really disheartening. I thought I had a chance. I didn't get a big league invite. Um, and then even going into the 2014 spring training, I got sent back to double-A after throwing almost 30 innings in triple-A. So um, talk about kind of getting you know knocked on your tail a little bit. I was I thought I was knocking on the store of the door of the big leagues and I'm in double A again after you know a league I was just an all-star in the year before. So did they give you any reasoning behind that? Like when they send you down were they like, hey, you need to work on this? No, honestly it was a lot of numbers things and you know I've had a lot of chance to reflect on my career. And if there was one thing I wish I would have done a little bit better job of was stand up for myself. Um, you know, kind of not raise hell, but kind of, you know, see what what I needed to do better. You know, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but I had like a two Two five or two six in Triple A, um, you know, as a first time guy in Triple A, threw well in the fall league. So I was really, but again, instead of having kind of the sour attitude, I went out and ready to prove myself. And I think I was only in Double A in fourteen for like six innings or something like that, and dominated. And then obviously parlayed that into a Triple A All Star, and then the big league. So I very easily could have kind of you know sat back on my heels and said, "Poor me," but I kind of use that as motivation, which I did my whole career. But obviously that 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 portion, that little four or five month stretch, was really really disheartening. But I actually think it kind of made me a better person and a better baseball player because of it. Well, walk me through that call up then. Is that something that you you know September was coming up? Did you have a feeling? Did you get any sort of hey you're gonna go up in September? Was there anything to prep for yeah you know the way the way it worked then and again I haven't been out very long but things are so different now with with analytically and the way that they do things but um, Terry Ryan the Twins GM at the time would always come to our last home series in Rochester and kind of do a final check on guys Um, I threw extremely well when he was there Um, he kind of hinted at it when he was there but I didn't know for sure and um, you know, what's what's really funny about kind of my call-up story is we were like a game out of the playoff race in Rochester with two to go. We're getting ready to hop on a bus for nine hours to Pawtucket, and Gene Glenn calls me in his office and says, hey, you're, you're going to the big leagues, but not until our season's over. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm, I just made my dream, but if we make the playoffs, I may not go for two weeks. Guys, we need to lose. <laughs> yes. So it was that double-edged sword where I was so excited. I couldn't tell anybody because, you know, when you go up the next day or something like that, it's okay to tell people. But I called my, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, and told her and kind of told her, said, hey, start looking at flights for Minnesota next week. But I didn't tell my parents because, as you know, most parents are, are pretty proud of their sons. And my dad would have had it all over the, the entire entire city of Toledo by by midnight so um, I kind of had to keep it hush hush which was which was tough and what was even harder is we got eliminated that next day in Pawtucket Um, but on Sunday they wanted me to throw so I had to throw two innings knowing that I was going to the big leagues knowing that we were out of the playoff race but knowing I was going to the big leagues it was the most nerve-wracking two innings I could think of saying just don't get hurt. I don't care if you give up 10 runs. Just don't get hurt because I knew I was, I had my flight papers in hand already. I knew I was going up, but a pretty cool story. And, um, you know, obviously once I was able to tell my parents after, after that game, it was, it was unbelievable and, um, an experience that, that I'll never, ever forget. And the financial implications of you having to getting to spend that two weeks in the big leagues and not in the AAA playoffs is probably your teammates probably did you a favor, yes, uh, in more ways than one by uh, by getting eliminated. But the your big league debut is that something you remember moment by little moment, or is it something that flew completely by by and was just a blur? It it really did fl- flew by. Um, you know, I was real fortunate that the game that. Uh, Guardy got me in. It was we were up 
six or seven runs. We were playing the White Sox, the team that was out of it as well. It was pretty much felt like a triple-A game. Um, you know, I'm facing guys who, a couple guys, I was with the White Sox in the fall league too, so I'm facing Marcus Simeon, who was on my team, um, Josh Fegley, who I face at Indiana. Um, so, you know, it was very, very familiar. Obviously, Target Field is one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful field in all of Major League Baseball. So, you know, obviously that stuff was all awesome. Um, but that big league debut really did just fly by. Obviously, my parents were there, and, and my, my girlfriend was there. So a great a great moment, but it really was the second outing that I sit back on, and it was pretty cool. You know, I get the call to get going. We're playing Anaheim, or LA, the LA Angels, and um, Bobby Cuellar, the bullpen coach, says, you got next hitter. I'm like, okay, who I got? And it was Albert Pujols. You know, it was kind of one of those, like, okay, that was my welcome to the big league moment rather than uh, my deep debut. So uh, I try to keep things, you know, very professional in this podcast. You know, we're, we're, I'm telling your story, but I am also human. Joe Maurer is my hero. Uh, you have to tell me something nice about Joe Maurer as you, you shared a clubhouse with the guy. Um, Joe Maurer is the nicest guy you, you will ever meet. I, I'm sure as you being a big fan of Joe, as obviously I was growing up and as a player, you know, that moment when he retired a few years ago and he got to go behind the plate for for you know the warm-up pitches and throw on the, the catching gear again was oh it's gonna get dusty in here it honestly brought tears to my eyes too and you know joe is the nicest guy you would never have guessed he made all that money he was so down to earth um you know i remember he actually caught me on a rehab stint in 2011 and you know you would have thought you know i was the big leader the way he was talking to me about my pitches and what i you know what i think i can play off of so that just kind of summarized joe and um, I don't think there is a nicer guy in all of baseball. He's an absolute legend. Um, the most fun guy I've ever seen take at bats. Um, you know, I think that when you watch, you know, I, I can say the same for for Mike Trout, who I was fortunate enough to play with as well. But Joe was the most competitive at bats I've ever seen. I've seen him take 97 at the hands and foul it off and take the same pitch and bloop it into right and then take the same pitch and hit it out, you know, hit it out to left. Uh, so he was just an ultimate professional and just a great, great uh, mentor to so many young guys in that organization. Yeah, not to derail too much, but like being a Twins fan has you it has you've taken your lumps over the past. I mean, I don't think they've won a playoff game since I was in middle school, but being able to root for Joe Maurer for um, you know nearly fifteen years was was just excellent. It was it was yeah. something a treasure. But let's get back to you. Uh, you have essentially at that point conquered AAA. Um, you've hit, you've had two extended stints in triple a you've thrown very well what's the day-to-day like when you're at triple does it feel like a waste when you're not throwing big league when you're throwing any non-big league innings are you just spending every day saying okay when am i getting the call when am i getting the call when am i getting the call yeah you know that that 15 year the 2015 year um was was you know looking back on it it's it's unique how um you know had a little big league experience knew i was I could dominate at the AAA level. You know, you go from hoping for a call up, um, you know, for your debut to every trip you go on now um, in the minor leagues, you bring your suit with you because you're expecting to get called up or, um, you know, you're watching the game in the clubhouse before the game and you see a reliever goes down or a starter, uh, you know, the bullpen's in in the first inning and you look around and you think, okay, one of, one of us is getting called up. And it's tough because, you know, you spend so much time and grind with those guys in the bullpen throughout the year that they become your best friends. And those guys who I competed with, you know, with and against um, are some of my best friends to this day. But, you know, it gets a little selfish at times, but it really was a unique experience to 
Um, you know, be happy for someone getting called up, but at the same time thinking, damn, why wasn't that me or, or what do I need to do different? So um, it is a unique experience and that's kind of the professional side of things. But um, like I said, the guys in the pen that year in 15, even in 14 were, were, again, some of my best friends and just a great experience to kind of take it all in with those guys. Were you surprised in that off season that you weren't kept on the roster? Yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, yeah, it was it was a new staff when when Molly, you know, 2015 was Paul Molitor's first year. Um, a new pitching coach, you know, Rick Anderson, who was with who had me in 14. Then uh, Neil Allen took the over in 15. So I didn't throw real well in September. I threw well my first stint um, in August there. Um, and then September kind of had a rough outing, which kind of deterred them from throwing me because we were in a little bit of a playoff race. So um, obviously I thought that I'd performed enough over the, you know, my kind of track record in AAA and then the small stints in the big leagues. But, um, you know, it, that was that was a tough time too. you know, moving on from an organization that I was with for, for six years in Minnesota that treated me so dang good. And I love all the people in that organization. Um, you know, that was tough, but obviously had a, had a real good opportunity we got claimed by the Phillies first, actually, and they got DFA'd a few days later. But a real good opportunity with, with the Angels and obviously um, parlayed that in, into a pretty successful stint with them as well. Is it reassuring to be claimed just in comparison to clearing waivers and, and having to find a job? Did, was there any communication with the Angels of we think you're this when they picked you up? Yeah, you know, that year, I think if, if you think back to my initial DFA from the Twins, I was DFA'd. It may have been six or seven times that year. So claimed a handful of times, uh, you know, two or three times and, and passed through waivers a couple times too. So I'll tell you that being claims, it made you feel a whole lot better and <laughs> made you feel wanted. Um, you know, I think what the Angels ended up doing is they claimed me from the Phillies and then they honestly DFA'd me a few days later and I cleared then. So they, they kind of um, claimed me with, with kind of the thought in mind of a of a depth piece in AAA. And obviously, thankfully, I, I made... I made a little bit of run at it in the big leagues with them. But, um, you know, obviously anytime you get DFA'd, it's disheartening. But a lot of it, especially when I was up um, with the Angels, was a lot of it was business. Just kind of the starter would struggle. And I was a long relief guy. And I kind of knew I was going down, you know, either getting optioned or if they needed to make room, I was probably going on waivers. So um, that's the business side of things. I think I went up and down eight or nine times that year with, with the Angels. So you kind of lived to learn with it. I felt bad for... Um, my wife, who again was my girlfriend at the time, she that was the one year she lived with me, and we were in Salt Lake for for a couple months, and then I'd get DFA'd, so we'd come home, keep our place in Salt Lake, but not know where the next thing was going. But that's kind of the joys of, of that grind, and you'd rather have it happen there rather than in the lower levels, obviously. Yeah, Salt Lake, uh, just shout out, possibly the best view in the minor beautiful, leagues. Uh, absolutely that, beautiful. Them are Salt Lake or Charlotte, uh, but it's your first your first extended look in the big leagues, just in terms of innings, there was obviously some up and down, but you throw 37 big league innings, you carry a 311 ERA. So that, that on the surface is good. Your strikeout rate normally fairly strong throughout your career is halved. Is that something that, that you were aware of? Could you put a finger on something like that saying, Hey, this is sitting guys down in AAA, but it's not working up here. Is it more just how hitters attacked you that year? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, going back to the strikeouts, I think that was a big reason why I got claimed by the angels was my, my ability to strike people out and not walk people in, you know, throughout my pro career, minor leagues, big leagues included. Um, so I thought that was really kind of the reason why they claimed me. Billy Epler, um, who obviously is no longer with them, came from the Angels, or from the Yankees, I'm sorry. And his philosophy was to get guys who can strike people out. Um, and I didn't do that when I was with the Angels. And a lot of that was, I think, that my slider took a step back that year. Um, 
for whatever reason, just didn't have a good feel for it. Had a really good feel for my my uh, changeup, which obviously got a lot of weak contact, but my strikeout pitch wasn't wasn't there as much. And again, I could strike people out with my changeup in, in AAA. But when you get to the big leagues and when they have, you know, even though it was abbreviated two years, they have two years of film on me. You can go back to my tendencies and kind of know how I pitch guys. Um, the changeup didn't play as, as good as a strikeout pitch as I would have liked it. And obviously if it would have, I might have still been playing a little bit longer with them. But um, obviously that, that kind of hurt me sticking with them. But I honestly thought I still obviously did a good job of, of you know, getting outs when, when my number was called. So after that year, you've you've had extended at that point. You've thrown sixty two big league innings. You have had extended time in the major leagues, at least, to see what other guys in the bullpen are doing, what guys you're facing look like. How did you think you stacked up as a big leaguer at that point? Did you think you were you had more in the tank? Yeah, I mean, I thought that you know, I I was pretty realistic. I you know, my fastball on its best day was was ninety two miles an hour maybe you know so I knew I was never going to be a true backing guy but I really thought I could have carved out a role um, kind of in that role that I had success in with AAA which was you know if we need big outs I could come in and get the job done be a long relief guy which I did a great job in in Anaheim with um, was kind of you know throwing multiple innings being able to kind of throw at like I said take pride in throwing every single day so I really thought that Anaheim I, I proved myself to be someone who could do that in the big leagues now Again, I thought the strikeout numbers um, and kind of the ability to kind of get people to swing and miss really hurt me um, after the Angels DFA'd me and I went to free agency. That really hurt me kind of getting signed and kind of getting getting teams to believe that, that I could, you know, that it wasn't fool's, fool's gold at the big league level, that I did it in AAA, but I couldn't do it in the big leagues. You end up, though, with your, your childhood favorite team, the Tigers. What was their pitch and signing? Why was signing with Detroit the move at that point? You know, it, it honestly, it, it obviously didn't end up like this, but it almost was like too good to be true. I signed um, with the Tigers like the day before I got married, so almost had got to have a celebration with um, all of my family, all of my wife's family, obviously at our wedding, celebrating our marriage, but also celebrating a pretty cool thing. You know, I grew up a Tigers fan growing up in Toledo, the Mudhens AAA team. My wife's family is all Tigers fans, so it really was a cool thing when they offered me. It didn't take too long to say yes. I thought it was a great opportunity to, you know, obviously get a big league camp invite um, and compete for a job. Obviously, it didn't kind of work out like, like I thought it would, but I just thought it was a great fit. The bullpen had struggled there for so long. I thought, worst comes to worst, I'll go to Toledo, um, you know, where obviously where I'm from, but also, you know, it, go to an international league, a league that I'd had a ton of success in and pitch myself back to the big leagues. When they send you to Erie then, was that a slap in the face? Was that a sign for you that, um, you know, this might actually be the end of things? How did you respond to that move? Yeah, you know, if, if that's one thing that, you know, I talked about back in 14 when I got sent back to AA, kind of how I used that to motivate me. I kind of did the opposite when I got sent to AA in Erie. Not that I was bitter and kind of let my teammates see it, but I just didn't kind of have that same drive because you come off a year, whereas honestly, almost at the end of my time with the Angels, I was I threw like the seventh inning and had a couple save or holds. I mean, in the seventh inning, so I go from like you know being a seventh inning guy in Anaheim to going to Double A like three or four months later. So it was so frustrating and so demoralizing. Where you think you put in all this hard work, you know, you overcome so many obstacles. Um, you know, to get sent to double A really kind of did my career in, and it was nothing that the Tigers did. Obviously, it was a numbers thing. I would have liked to have been in triple um, A or the big leagues, but I kind of did it to myself because I didn't have that mindset. 
um, of getting back there as soon as I can by by proving people rather than you know people feeling sorry for me. So I kind of look back on that experience as a really good learning experience, something that now as a coach, um, you know, I really try to reiterate to my guys and kind of help go through because it really happened so quick where I had such a good time in Anaheim and such a good good run at it that I kind of again sat back on my heels in in Erie and kind of let let my kind of ego get the best of me rather than proving people wrong and um, you know I have tons of respect for the people in the Tigers organization you know Dave Littlefield who signed me and who was also ultimately responsible for me getting released I have a great relationship to this day and I've told them that you know I'm sorry I didn't kind of go at it more so that's kind of my philosophy now is to kind of kind of live and learn from from that moment for sure. So after the Tigers let you go, you head over to Somerset. You're you're in the Atlantic League for for the rest of the season. When you get to that off season, why did you know after you pitched your last game for Somerset that it was the last game you were going to pitch? When did you make the decision to to move on and move right into coaching? No, I I really didn't. You know, I, I when the season ended in Somerset in mid September, I took a few weeks to reflect, talked with my agent. Um, and I thought I still had more left in the tank. You know, I, um, you know, I thought that I just had a chance to continue to pitch. And I, like again, I'd proven that I could pitch at that level. Now it was just a matter of kind of getting back to the mindset. So I went into that off season, um, you know, ready to to get to get another shot at it. Um, you know, you got through the World Series. Uh, here comes free agency. Nothing. I reach out to Twins, Angels. You know, teams that I had success with. You know, they didn't see me as a fit. So, you know, the writing was starting to get on the wall a little bit. Um, I was almost willing to go back to indie ball a little bit just because I felt like I could have proved, you know, with, with a better direction of kind of my mindset that I could have been better. And then the Eastern job opened up when Eric got the head job. I live 20 minutes from Eastern Michigan. Um, it was honestly a perfect fit and to step right into a Division One pitching coach job after um, you know, playing for eight years professionally was was something that I thought was was too good to pass up. Working for one of my best friends and Eric was too hard to pass up, and it's been a great experience and something that that I'm so thankful that Eric gave me that opportunity. So I asked uh, I asked Will Venable this when he was on. Um, he's now now coaching for the Cubs, but I, I want to start asking this to anyone who's in the coaching in the coaching industry now. What do you think you're best at? when it comes to coaching like what what about your career your experiences what do you think you are best at relaying to your players at eastern michigan it sounds like a job interview question but <laughs> genuinely curious what what about your experiences do you think that you are best at relaying to your players yeah you know now now that it's been a couple years i i still think it's the same thing as what i told um you know the first pitching staff i ever had is that and i literally was like two weeks removed from playing catch um, but just being able to relate to the guys, you know, obviously as I get older, the further I get away from playing, the harder it is to, to kind of relate. But, you know, even, even now my players now, just four years ago, I was pitching in a big league bullpen. Um, you know, so these experiences that they're going through, it's nothing that I never experienced. Um, and it hurts me a little sometimes because I give, almost give them the benefit of the doubts too much because I know what it's like to throw sore. I know what it's like to not have your breaking ball that day. Um, but I feel like my ability to relate to the guys and kind of have that personal relationship and say, okay, we don't have this pitch today. Let's do this. Or you've never thrown out of the pen before. Okay. This is how you need to get loose. And it's, it's not things, things that I read in a book. These they're real personal experience that I experienced not long ago. So I think being able to relate to the guys, obviously, my playing career holds a little weight, but after a few days, that gets thrown out the window because then I'm their pitching coach. Um, but I think being able to relate to those guys, 
Um, you know, just being able to know that I care for them and, and, and know that I know what they're going through, I think really helps our, my relationship with my pitchers. A term that I heard on a college football podcast that I love, uh, shout out to Split Zone Duo, uh, that they say in college football programs, college football programs uses is OKGs, our kind of guys. Uh, the school I went to was in West Texas desert, was not for everybody. I'm sure you have seen guys at Eastern Michigan, guys at Michigan State, who that level and that location was not for. When you're going out recruiting, just being just being brought, not just Eastern Michigan, but but uh, just Northern schools in general. What kind of guy is a cold weather school baseball guy? What what attributes does that guy need to have? Yeah, I think that they you obviously have to have a little bit of toughness, a little bit of um, you know, a little bit of an edge to you. I really think. I think that um, you know, it's kind of cool coaching at Eastern Michigan because we're you know, there's Michigan, Michigan State, the other directional schools in the conference, but people don't think too much of Eastern Michigan. So we want guys that kind of have that chip on their shoulder too. There's a lot of guys that were, were their only division one offer. Um, you know, we get emails all the time from kids in the South or the West who just want a chance to play division one baseball. Um, but we want to make sure that those guys who get that chance have an edge to them, you know, have something to prove. I think back to my career and again, being that 46 rounder, being sent back to double A after having success in triple A, um, kind of can have that edge to them and kind of have that moxie about them. It kind of, you know, a, a cocky confidence that, that obviously kind of uh, parlays them into competing their tail off on the field. I think that, um, you know, Eastern Michigan isn't for everybody, just like U of M, just like Michigan State isn't for everybody. But, um, you know, we have to be really selective on guys that we, we select because it is a tough environment to play in. But at the same time, it's Division One baseball, and it's a pretty cool honor. And there's, uh, you know, there's millions of kids out there every year who would love to play Division One baseball. So kind of finding that right fit of guys who are motivated, but at the same time, um, you know, have bigger aspirations as well. So AJ, if you could go back and talk to yourself, you know, right after signing, or if you, you know, talk to, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have some guys sign here this year, year after whatever, what is the advice that you would give to someone who's coming out as a late round pick from a, from a Northern school? What, what advice would you bestow on yourself back then or your kids now? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing and I think the reason why, again, the reason why I thought I had success was just making sure that you are ready to go every single day. Um, the reason why I was called up and the reason why I got, you know, pushed push levels was because I was a reliable guy. Um, you know, being a non-prospect guy, you don't have many chances to, to fail. Um, being, being sure that, you know, injury isn't a reason why they, now some injuries obviously you can't control, but nagging injuries never got me because I didn't let, you know, things like that, like making sure you can control the things you can control and never letting kind of your lack of hard work be the reason why you don't get a call up or the reason why you don't get a shot. Um, I really think that, that a lot of it is, you know, I think back to the reason why, you know, me as a 46 round pick had success over someone who was a first or second rounder who didn't, it wasn't talent. Those guys were more talented than me, but it was kind of that will and kind of that will that I lost in Erie, you know, the, the, that we talked about before, but making sure you always have that will, that edge, um, and kind of never letting anyone outwork you or kind of be, um, you know, take your spot. That's kind of the mindset you have to have. And especially you got to have that chip on your shoulder being from a Northern school. Okay. I've got a rapid, a little rapid fire for you and then I'm going to okay. let you go. Okay. Favorite minor league ballpark? Oh, uh, man. I will go uh, Toledo. Is, and that is that because of your, your hometown affiliation? Hometown, hometown. I grew up a Hens fan. I uh, had season tickets growing up. Getting to play there was awesome. It's one of the cooler ballparks, though, too. So I'll go Toledo. Little homer pick. Least favorite? 
at MILB ballpark? Um, let's see. I'll go Syracuse and AAA. I never pitched well there. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Uh, best hitter you ever faced? Mike Trout. That is, that's, I mean, I think that's yeah. the best hitter anyone has ever yes. faced. Look, if face. you look that's... up his numbers against me too, I'm glad that uh, he was on my team for a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best food city in Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball? Um, I will combine it with like best restaurant slash nightlife scene was Portland, Maine. Interesting. Home yeah. of the Sea Dogs. Home of the Sea Dogs. I remember uh, had a couple couple of my teammates and best friends were Northeast guys. They said, we're going out for some lobster. And um, I wasn't a big seafood guy. Even when I was in the Cape, I loved it because it was fresh. But I go to Portland and let's get a lobster roll. And the, the waiter comes over and says, hold on, we're waiting for our boat to pull in. And literally the boat pulled in with fresh lobster and it was one of the cooler things portland was always one of my favorite cities to go to and for the cuisine and kind of the the time in old port that sounds like a dream honestly <laughs> uh coldest game you ever played um i'll go to my sophomore year at michigan state we were playing in uh illinois so in champaign illinois um i remember it snowing very very heavily during the game would you rather have Michigan lose every football game or Ohio State lose every football game? Uh, uh, is there an option C? No, no. I uh, I come from a family of Buckeyes too, so I'll go. I'll go. U of M lose every game. AJ, that's all I've got for you. Thanks so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Really appreciate your time. Best of luck this upcoming spring. No problem, Kyle. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Again, huge thanks to AJ Octor for taking time uh, talking to us on this episode. Again, episodes of From Phenom to the Farm come at you every other Tuesday. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com for all your top 10 prospect news. And we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.